he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 13, and 15, 13 through 15. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. As Christians formed by the weekly reaffirmation of the Nicene Creed, the concept of the Trinity is hardly new to us, nor is it controversial. We confess that there is one God in three persons, a Trinity in unity. This is the fullness of the truth of the nature of God revealed first by Jesus to his disciples. And yet, the doctrine of the Trinity is one which causes many people even today to stumble. How can God be at once one, but also three persons? How do these persons relate to each other? What should be a cause for celebration, that God Most High has made himself known to his people, is for some a cause for confusion and consternation. There have been many attempts to rein in the mystery of the Trinity so that our feeble human minds can grasp it. You've probably heard different analogies for what the Trinity is like. Soon after, someone may have pointed out the ways in which the metaphor fails and the potential for heresy creeps in. The attempt to bring the intricacies of the Trinity to a level where we can understand is natural and not in and of itself wrong or sinful. Even someone using a bad analogy in a sermon is not necessarily wrong if they are upfront with how the comparison falls short. However, bad analogies are not helpful. And no matter how much someone may say, now be careful with this, wrong ideas have an unfortunate habit of overgrowing their bounds once they are planted. The plain fact is that we don't really have a direct reference to compare the Trinity and the relationship between the persons with our daily lives. That isn't to say that the Trinity is entirely incomprehensible, just that we should be skeptical of explanations that seem easy. So then, how do we understand the doctrine of the Trinity? If comparisons to earthly things fail, what hope do we have to grasp the mystery? Why celebrate at all if understanding is that difficult? By way of quick reassurance, I want to say that if you are a baptized believing Christian, that you almost certainly understand the mystery far better than the world can even begin to, and probably better than even some theologians. The reason for this is that you accept the one baptism that unites every believer into the body of Christ. You see, while there are no earthly references by which to easily understand the Trinity, the Spirit has seen fit to give us an image of how, one, how many can be one and relate in harmony to each other. Keeping that in mind, the best way to speak about the Trinity is not to say that the Trinity is like, but to say who the Trinity is. The Gospel lesson today is an explicit demonstration of the coexistence and cooperation of the three persons of the Godhead and the Trinity. Our Lord's focus in, the, in his teaching to the disciples is to tell them about the Holy Spirit. In this teaching, he reveals the Trinity by way of relating himself to the Father and the Spirit. In saying that all that the Father has is mine, Jesus explicitly reveals himself as the Son. This revelation also shows that, that Jesus 
is divine, since the Father possesses the divine quality. The same is true of the Spirit of Truth, who speaks only what he hears and declares all truth to the disciples. The use of the word declare here is a deliberate choice, as the same word in Greek shows up many times in the Greek translation of the prophet Isaiah. In that book, the declaration of truth, and particularly things to come, is shown to be the domain of God alone. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is shown to be divine with the Father and the Son. The relationship of the persons within the Trinity is revealed to us in this gospel passage. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Son to declare the things of God and to glorify the Son in the world. The Son has authority to send the Holy Spirit into the world to be the helper whom his disciples desperately need in order to do the work we have been given to do. You might notice that the Father is mentioned, but not explained in the same way as the Holy Spirit, or of Christ explaining the need for his departure. In fact, from this passage, we get only two statements about the Father. First, that Jesus is going to the Father. Second, that all that the Father has is Jesus's. As we heard in last week's gospel message, Jesus reveals the Father to the world. If you have seen the Son, then you have seen the Father also. The persons cooperate to glorify the work of God and to declare his truth. Three divine persons, all of one being and with one will, a trinity in unity. There are many other truths about the trinity and the nature of God that have been teased out from this and other passages throughout scripture. In a few moments, we will recite the Athanasian Creed, which is the great statement of what we believe about the trinity. This creed very plainly states that right belief about the doctrine of the Trinity is a requirement for salvation. This may seem like it's adding a requirement to the plan of salvation. Doesn't Jesus say that all that is necessary to be saved is to believe in him? Jesus himself says that he reveals the Father to the world. Jesus tells us that the spirit of truth will declare only what he has heard. And the Spirit has revealed the enduring truth about the Trinity to the church since the first century. If we deny the Trinity, then we deny that the Spirit teaches truth, which in turn casts doubt on the words of Jesus. If we can't trust Jesus, then we have not seen the Father. If the Father remains alien to us, then we cannot be saved. How does knowledge of the Trinity affect our daily lives as Christians? It would be easy to read or hear about these things and believe them to be cerebral or academic without any practical application. Jesus does not typically, if ever, reveal things to his disciples that are purely cerebral or just fun facts that they can argue about or write seminary papers on. To my knowledge, everything that Christ reveals to his people is laden with purpose. I believe that Jesus' purpose for revealing the Trinity is threefold. The more immediate purpose is to reassure the Twelve ahead of his trial and and crucifixion that even during such terror, authority still rests with God. Since this gospel passage primarily focuses on the revelation of the Holy Spirit, another purpose is to reassure them that they will be able to endure and be successful in their coming ministry through the power of God. Finally, The revelation of the Trinity shows us a picture of love and community that is unknown in any human context. While the first two purposes are certainly still applicable today, 
we always need reassurance that God is on the throne in our darkest hours, or that the important work of being the church is not left up to our own feeble and failing devices. It is the third purpose that I want to focus on for the remainder of my time. The image of the Trinity as a community united in perfect love, being, and will is a picture that we see reflected in the church. The church is united in love through our shared confession of Christ as Lord and our obedience to his commandments. She is united in being through the regeneration of souls and baptism. We who are baptized in water and spirit becoming a new creation. Finally, the church is united in will because Christ is our head as St. Paul testifies in the first letter to the Corinthians. Christ being our head, the church therefore has its will from him who in turn is united in will to the Father and the Spirit. Therefore, as a picture of the Trinity, the church should live and act as we see the Trinity acting, loving one another in furtherance of the divine will. We see this in the Spirit doing acts of power through apostles, healers, and miracle workers, not for their boasting, but for the glory of Christ. We see this in Christ submitting his human will, which feared death, to the divine will he shares with the other persons, passing through death so that hell and the accuser would be defeated utterly. We see this in the Father creating the cosmos by the word of his mouth and the breath and the breath of his nostrils, by the word and the spirit. As the church then, we do works not to receive rec recognition from our community other than the recognition that Christ truly dwells among us. We submit our shattered and broken wills to the will of God, not allowing worries about building, money, or membership to override our commitment to be faithful to the gospel. We commit to the work to encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith and to not tear down what God has built up. Within the body, there are many gatherings of the church. Reflecting the perfect love of the Trinity means that we acknowledge all of those who gather in the name of Jesus and rest on the faith passed down since Pentecost to be members of the body. We do not cast them aside because their worship looks different or because they believe different things about secondary matters from what we believe. At the same time, because the constituents of the body are humans at different stages of sanctification, love also requires that we rebuke deadly error which seeks to tear members from the body of Christ. Reflecting this love also means that we cannot be insular within our own faith community. We have primary concern for caring and loving those placed within our reach to care and love, but we still have capacity to pull together when another community of believers is in trouble or needs help with an important work. There are local missions that we as the Good Shepherd interact with and give to regularly. There are diocesan and provincial efforts that we support from time to time. We work with congregations and dioceses in different parts of the country and the world as part of reflecting this loving unity. The Trinity is revealed to us not as some theological point of trivia or empty knowledge, but because this is the reality of who God is, an eternal Trinity in unity, perfectly united in love, being, and will. The Holy Spirit allows us to participate in, in union with Christ and his church as a reflection of the Trinity, mutually revealing the mystery over and over again to each other and to the world. This week, I urge you to contemplate the mystery of the Trinity and how the church reflects these revealed truths of God as the body of Christ. 
may we seek to love one another perfectly as we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love perfectly. Amen.